0: My name is Ann Junius. The scripture reading today comes from the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. I'll be reading from chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy, for prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues— Unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must play the notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody. And if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know they are being called to battle? It's the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you are saying? You might as well be talking into empty space. There are many different languages in the world, and every language has meaning. But if I don't understand a language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it, and the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. Since you are so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ann.
1: Appreciate it. Thank you. Last weekend, Brynn was begging Morgan and I for a family movie night. And Morgan and I were thinking, yeah, you know, what movie are we going to show the kids? And so we were remembering this heartfelt classic that came out in 1995 when Morgan and I were kids, and we settled on the movie Babe. And Morgan and I remembered this movie as this cute, you know, lighthearted film where a pig interacts with other farm animals and goes on to carve out an illustrious career herding sheep. That was our memory of the movie Babe. Little had we remembered that a large plot line in the movie is the animals trying to figure out how not to be eaten by the humans. I mean, the movie itself opens with this dark scene in a barn where the full-grown pigs are being cow prodded out of their pens and herded into a semi to be taken away where the kids will never see them again. It's the opening scene of the movie. And we're going, okay, this isn't starting off very well, you know? And then um, later on in the movie, it gets to be Christmas, and the family is carving a duck for Christmas dinner. And uh, and the duck that's been around the farm and taking the place of the rooster and waking everybody up in the morning by quacking, he's looking through the window and telling the other farm animals that they're about to eat his girlfriend. And he's telling about how, he's, he, how beautiful of a duck she was. And what's funny is, so Morgan and I are going, oh my goodness... And thankfully at this point, Colin is bouncing up and down on the couch and he's chatting up a storm and Brynn is getting frustrated and she's like, mom and dad, I can't even hear what's going on, you know, and we're looking at each other, we're going, that's okay, you know, like praise the Lord. She, we're like, you don't need to know what's going on, they, you know, they're, they're just the farm animals. So it it, it kind of went on like this and neither of the kids, well Brynn was frustrated because she couldn't hear, Colin wasn't really into it and was chatting up a storm and, and so the bedtime came and went and I said, you know what? We're nowhere near the end of the movie. I'm calling it. Like, we're going to go to bed. And, of course, the kids were like, no, fun dad. And, like, what? And this is an injustice, you know. And, um, but I'm like, whatever. You're not, you're not into this. So, so, Morgan and I were like, wow, you know, we really dodged a bullet there. We're glad we didn't really finish the movie. And um, we probably never will. Um... <laughs> But I bring up, I bring up uh, Babe because there's a scene in that same Christmas scene, there's a scene in the movie where the parents or the grandparents give their granddaughter a Christmas gift. And it really makes you cringe because the granddaughter does not have the reaction that you would have hoped for receiving this Christmas gift. So let's go ahead and watch that cringy scene.
0: What's wrong, dear?
1: Oh. Wrong one. I want the other. Cringe, because the grandma and grandpa had spent all this time building this handcrafted dollhouse for their granddaughter, and all she can do is shriek, because it's not the one that she had seen on television. It is not the response that you would have hoped for in the reception of a gift. This granddaughter's giving a gift, and all she can do is is shriek at it and say, this is the wrong one. And I show you this scene because we have all of these spiritual gifts— But there is a category of spiritual gifts where when they are given, many of us cringe. Or when they are given, many of us, at the thought of receiving those category of gifts, we go, "Mm -mm, thanks but no thanks, or "Eh, it makes me really uncomfortable, or I'm not really sure I want that gift. There's a category of gifts when we think about receiving it, or when we see it given, that we say, yeah, I'd rather, you know, have nothing to do with that. And that category of spiritual gifts is the sign gifts Some people refer to these as the charismatic gifts or the miraculous gifts. And some of the gifts that fall into this category are gifts like prophecy or speaking in tongues or interpretation of tongues, words of knowledge, healing, and there's others. But these are these miraculous gifts that we think we see them in action, or we think about receiving them, and we kind of go, "Ah, it makes me really uncomfortable. I'm not really sure I want to accept that gift or I'm not really sure I want to receive that gift, or I'm not really sure I want to validate that gift. or it's, it makes me kind of cringe when I think about those gifts. And what I want to do is I want to speed through the narrative of the Holy Spirit's connection to the miraculous in the Bible. And that narrative of the Holy Spirit's connection to the miraculous is going to bring us right up to the cusp of our text in 1 Corinthians today that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. So if we look at this narrative in Scripture of the Holy Spirit's connection to the miraculous, we get the miraculous on page 1 of the Bible because the Holy Spirit is miraculously breathing creation into existence. The Hebrew word is ruach meaning God's breath. God's breath is breathing creation into existence. Here's what Job says. He says, His spirit made the heavens beautiful, and his power pierced the gliding serpent. And then on top of that, he breathes humanity into existence, and then God's ruach, his breath, breathes life into the humans. Job says again in thirty three four. For the spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And then if we flash forward a little bit in the Old Testament, we see God empowering certain individuals to do the miraculous to protect God's people from enemies or foes. And this occurs again and again in the book of Judges. Here's a judge named Othniel, and God is going to empower him and do the miraculous through him to protect his people. Look at Judges 3. But when the people of Israel cried out for the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother Kenaz. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against King cushan Reshathiam of Aram, and the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. So there was peace in the land for 40 years. Then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. And so the Spirit of the Lord came upon him to do this miraculous fighting so that Israel's people, or God's people Israel, would be kept safe. Then you also have this Judge Gideon, where the Lord pared down his army to 300 men. And the Holy Spirit is going to empower Gideon to do the miraculous and protect God's people. Look at verse chapter 6. Soon afterward, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiazer came to him. And we know that Gideon goes on to, with his army of 300 people, defeat the Midianites and protect Israel. He also had this guy named Samson, which is a really complicated story because Samson is not a moral or good individual. But it shows us that the Lord can use whoever he wants for his purposes, and God's going to empower Samson. As Samson arrived at Lahai, the Philistines came shouting in triumph, but the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson, and he snapped the ropes on his arms as if they were burnt strands of flax, and they fell from his wrist. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. He picked it up and killed a thousand Philistines with it. And so you have this miraculous event where the Holy Spirit gives Samson supernatural miraculous power where he can pick up a jawbone and slay one thousand enemies. Similarly, oh wait, look at this. So look at this picture of Samson from the Bible Project, and there's a little Easter egg in that um, enemy pile up there um, that I love that they included. And if you look closer, if you zoom in, it's a picture of a lion. And I love that they include that lion in that pile up because of this story. Look at Judges 14. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands but did it as easily as if it were a young goat. But he didn't tell his father or mother about it. So you have this empowering again where a lion attacks Samson he just rips the lion apart in this miraculous display of strength. And what I love in the Bible is that there's this weird comparison like those lions are really hard to tear apart. But you know, young goats, you can tear those apart like paper. You know, it doesn't. I never made sense to me, and there's clearly something cultural going on there that we don't understand. That I don't have an explanation for yet. Maybe I'll find it one day. But this comparison of like those lions are hard, but young goats are easy to rip apart. You know, it's just hilarious. But again, the Holy Spirit empowers him to do the miraculous, and then the Holy Spirit empowers speech in the Old Testament as well. Uh, Look at First, uh, Second Corinthians, sorry, Second Chronicles, fifteen verses one and two. Then the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded, and he went out to meet King Asa as he was returning from the battle. Listen to me, Asa, he shouted. Listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. Whenever you seek him, you will find him. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. And so the Lord, the Holy Spirit, empowers the speech of this guy to re-proclaim the covenant that God makes with his people to King Asa. Similarly, when David's on the run from King Saul in the wilderness, he receives word that King Saul has died on the battlefield. And now David's going to stay hidden for a little bit while the political unrest kind of settles down. And, and there's a group of people that come to David while he's hiding in the wilderness, and they proclaim their allegiance to David, but he's unsure. And what the Holy Spirit does is it inspires the speech of the group that comes to him to convince David that these people are indeed allies. Look at First Corinthians, or I keep saying Corinthians. Look at 1 Chronicles 12. Others from Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold. David went out to meet them and said, If you have come in peace to help me, we are friends. But if you have come to betray me to my enemies, then or when I am innocent, then may the God of our ancestors see it and punish you. Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, the leader of the thirty, and he said, We are yours, David. We are on your side, son of Jesse. Peace and prosperity be with you, and success to all who help you. For your God is the one who helps you. So David let them join him, and he made them officers over his troops. And the Holy Spirit is going to continue to do the miraculous and inspire speech when we turn the page to the New Testament, because the Holy Spirit miraculously conceives the Son of God inside of the womb of the Virgin Mary. And then when Mary finds out from the angel that the Holy Spirit has done this miracle of conceiving Jesus within her, She goes to her relative Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, and Elizabeth is going to have a Holy Spirit-inspired prophecy that she speaks over the unborn Jesus. Here's what Luke 1, 1, 41-42 says. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. That's John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. And so she has this Holy Spirit-inspired prophecy that she speaks over the baby inside of Mary's womb. And then when Jesus is born and when he grows up and we, when he conducts his earthly ministry, he does all of these miraculous events in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Luke fifteen five verses... I am really struggling with the references today, folks. Luke five seventeen b This comes... And the context of Jesus about to heal the paralytic man who was raised down through the roof because the room was so crowded and they couldn't get to Jesus. And here's what Luke 5.17 says. It's a very curious verse. It says, And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. That Jesus himself did his miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't think we're outside of the boundaries to say that Jesus required the Holy Spirit to do his miracles. I do not think that's outside of the boundaries. And so Jesus conducts his earthly ministry, and he goes to the cross, and he rises from the dead. And then as he's about to go back to be with his father, he gives his followers these final instructions before he ascends back into heaven. And he makes this promise. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he goes up to his father, and then several days later that promise comes true when the followers of Jesus are gathered in this room. This is that on the day of Pentecost, they receive the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire appear above their heads, and they all begin speaking in these different languages because the Holy Spirit has miraculously empowered them to speak languages that they do not know in order to bring the gospel of Jesus to every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And so you have this constant connection with the Holy Spirit doing the miraculous through a servant of God. And that brings us right to our passage today in 1 Corinthians 14. And Paul is writing to the church at Corinth because the church at Corinth is having trouble in their midst. And we talked a little bit about this last week, but Paul is teaching them about the proper usage of spiritual gifts in chapter 12 that we covered last week. And then you had this dynamic where there were people with these demonstrative or miraculous gifts that we talked about that were using those gifts like a badge of honor or displaying them in some sort of show of superiority, especially the people with the gift of speaking in tongues were going around and exercising their gift in public worship, and then people would see them exercise their gift and look upon them in envy, and it became this sort of this battle, as it were, between the haves of the gift of tongues and the have-nots of everybody else and the haves of these miraculous gifts who say, well, look at me, look at this awesome gift I have. And so Paul is addressing two of those miraculous gifts in chapter 14 of First Corinthians. And those two gifts are the gift of speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy. And here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 2 to 3. He says, For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. So he's com- contrasting two gifts, the gift of speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy. And in this instance, Paul says when it comes to Common worship, to corporate worship, to public worship, where we're all gathered together. When we're all gathered together in worship, I prefer prophecy to tongues, because people can actually understand prophecy, and they don't understand tongues. Now, let me give you some definitions here, okay? So, Paul's preference is for the gift of prophecy. So, Derek Prince, in his book, The Gifts of the Spirit, defines prophecy like this. He says, prophecy is an utterance in a language understood by the believer that is inspired and given by the Holy Spirit. Prophecy is not just inspired preaching, neither does it proceed from human reasoning, learning, education, or seminary training. Like all other gifts, it is made possible only by the supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm doing right now is not prophecy. Prophecy is a Holy Spirit-inspired spoken word that's consistent with the Bible and builds up Christ's community. And Paul says, I prefer prophecy because it's spoken In the language of the people. So if someone were to give a word of prophecy here, it would be spoken in English, and we would all understand it at face value. Whereas on the other hand, tongues is something that is unintelligible to the people that are gathered around the person speaking in tongues. Now tongues can be two things. It can be other languages, like the followers of Jesus were speaking on the day of Pentecost when they received the Holy Spirit. When they began to speak, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to miraculously speak other languages. Or, more often, it can be something that is completely unintelligible to anybody. All right? It can be, it's verbal gobbledygook. It's almost gibberish. All right? What it sounds like to people hearing someone speaking in tongues is gibberish. And so here's a a definition of tongues. Speaking in tongues is a manifestation of the Spirit whereby the Christian willfully offers his or her vocal operations to the Holy Spirit so that God may order the verbal utterance. So Paul is saying, I prefer prophecy when you're gathered together in corporate worship because people can actually understand that. It's in the language of the people gathered. And don't do tongues when you're gathered because that is verbal gobbledygook. No one can understand it. The only way they can understand it is with an interpreter, which he goes into in the latter half of chapter 14. We don't have time to talk about necessarily today. But I prefer prophecy in the corporate gathering to tongues because people can actually understand it. Someone speaking prophecy, people can understand. Someone speaking tongues, sounds like gibberish and gobbledygook. So the question for us, as Paul addresses both of these gifts, is are the miraculous gifts for the church of today? Is this category of gifts that we've talked about still valid for the church at Mequon, Wisconsin, Grace 242 in Mequon Nature Preserve in October of 2019? Are the miraculous gifts valid for, for today's church, now before we can even answer that question, and some of you are already nodding, which is exciting to see, but before we can have an answer that question, we have to ask, why would we even ask this question in the first place? Why would we even ask if these miraculous gifts are valid for the church of today or not? Well, number one, because many miraculous gifts have been done in the, in abusively, or there have been many expressions of the supposed gift that are done in an abusive way and are not the gift at all. All you need to do is turn on your TV. And there's examples of abuse of the miraculous gifts. For instance, there's a false prophet by the name of Benny Hinn. Who's heard of Benny Hinn in here? You heard of Benny Hinn. So this false prophet goes around holding these rallies where there's supposedly these healing gatherings and people are supposed to come up and get healed. And it's very, um, you know, there's all sorts of theatrics and they bring the person up on the stage and and Benny Hinn will supposedly pray over this person and he'll do this demonstrative gestures and say some verbal thing and sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't, but he'll just say like blah blah you know and then and then the person who supposedly gets healed is falling back, you know, into the arms of the attendant so they don't hurt themselves. And supposedly he's casting out the demon and and it's all this show, you know, and they've done that journalists have uncovered. They've done some some digging, and they've found that when he holds these rallies, there's a group of henchmen that he has that goes around and vets the crowd. And what they do is they say to somebody like, okay, yeah, you know, you got a shoulder problem. Well, like, can you still raise your arms? You know, and the guy's like, yeah, I can still raise my arms, but it hurts, you know. And so what they'll do is they'll bring the guy with the shoulder problem up on the stage. And, you know, you have a shoulder problem, sir. Well, let's pray over that. And he'll do his theatrics and everything. And then, oh, look at me. You know, I can still raise my arms. And this person is supposedly healed, but they could raise their arms all along. Conversely, I remember I watched a short video on this where NBC went behind the scenes looking into this guy. And there was a girl who was wheelchair bound. Uh, She was bound to a wheelchair, could not walk, and the henchmen found her, and they made sure, no, 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 we don't want you up on stage because it's an actual ailment that she cannot overcome unless the Lord does a miracle. So they didn't want her on stage because what if he would pray over her and then she still couldn't get up? Then he'd be exposed as a sham. And so you have these abusive uh, usages. Uh, I I don't even want to say usage because it's not the gift. These abusive um, shows, you know, in the name of the gift. That's why we ask this question if it's valid or not because there's all these abuses. There's a pastor by the name of Tope Coleoso and he gives this incredible message at the Desiring God conference in 2013. That's John Piper's thing. And it's an incredible, incredible message on how we need to be both theological and charismatic. How we can be reformed and charismatic at the same time. And if those words mean nothing to you, that's okay. Just know that it's an incredible message. But he tells a story in that message about a use of prophecy or a supposedly use of prophecy, which actually is an abuse of prophecy, so let 's watch his story
2: long, long time ago, my wife and I were in a meeting that uh, was a small Christian meeting you know and um, I had uh, we had some guy come preach in the in the, in, in the church i wasn 't leading the church, but it must have been about i don't know maybe 30, fifty of us maybe, and uh, he was a guy who worked walked in the prophetic gifting, you know. And uh, he came, and uh, I was I was kind of on the leadership thing. But he came, and he preached, and he did his thing, and it was okay. Except, in the middle of it, he went to my wife, and he he had a word for my wife, and his word went like this: "Your your husband is hurting you, isn't he? Your husband is not is not treating you right. Your husband is not taking care of you." Your husband, there are things that your husband is doing that is not you're not happy, your husband is hurting you. And God says you need to talk to your husband about that. Because God says your husband is hurting you. What do you think that kind of thing does to a marriage? I mean, to go to someone's wife and say, Your husband is hurting you, and says, I God told me your husband is hurting you. My wife and I. We got back in the car on the way home. I thank God for his grace that kept us because, listen to this, we looked at each other. Said, what was that about? <laughs> exactly what we did. What was that? I'm like, I don't know. You know, I, I'm like, are, you, are we okay here? She's like, <laughs> who's that? and we dismissed it. I am careful not to despise prophecy, but I do recognize nonsense. That's what that was.
1: Another abuse. Someone claims to have a prophetic word and says your husband's hurting you when he's not. I mean, What kind of a blow could that potentially deal to their marriage? But praise the Lord that the Lord could use that and they have a strong marriage in Christ and can make this this incredible story, but also a moment for laughing that they were like, that was weird, you know? So are the gifts... The miraculous gifts valid for today's church? Why do we ask that question? Because there's so much abuse, and because also it can cause a lot of discomfort. My pastor, Bryant Jacobson, he and I were at the um, eco-national gathering a few years back. It was at the beginning of the year, and it's the gathering for our denomination nationally. And I remember we were in worship, and all of a sudden I overheard him uh, making these verbal noises, you know. And he was making these ticks with his mouth and saying nonsense. And I thought in that moment, I bet this guy is speaking in tongues. Because he grew up in these charismatic circles. And, and I asked him later on in that evening, I said, hey, were you speaking in tongues back there? Were you praying, you know, this, this spirit language? Were you praying in tongues? He said, yeah. And, um, and I'm glad because he's one of my best friends and, and we have this great relationship. And so the fact that we're good friends made it not as weird, but it was still weird. To overhear somebody just kind of, you know, going with their mouth like that is, I mean, it was very strange. And it can be very weird when you see the miraculous gifts being used. Similarly, uh, a couple months ago, we had someone from our church, and I have permission to tell you this story. Um, we had someone from our church say, Bill, you know, can we meet? Yeah, absolutely. So we get together. And this person said to me, they said, Bill, I I think I have the gift of healing, but Like, is that okay? Is that even a thing? Like, can I do this? Like, is this valid? You know, and this person was clearly very uncomfortable or not sure if they could be comfortable or not sure if this was a valid thing. They had all these questions. Like, if if this is something, a road I'm not supposed to go down, I'm happy to stop, you know, but they were really hesitant and gun-shy. And I just said to this person, I said, I said, why are you so afraid of the gift? And I said, you know, I I said, especially with this gift, I feel like the downside is pretty low. Because you pray over someone and you ask the Lord for healing and God's answer is not right now or not today. What's there to lose? (laughs) You ask the Lord for healing. And so I just told this person, I said, I want to just unshackle you and unbind you. And I want to set you free from whatever prison you feel that you are in. This prison of discomfort or or uncertainty or or whatever you think. I just, I want you to be free. And yes, I want you exercising this gift and expressing this gift. If you think you've got it, then go for it. Like pray, anoint, do your thing. Like that's so exciting. I want you to be unbound. But it can cause a lot of discomfort. Are the miraculous gifts for the church of today in 2019? Why do we ask this question? Because there's so much abuse And it can be really weird and cause a lot of discomfort. So in answering this question, Christianity is largely divided into two camps. In the one camp, you have the no crowd. They would say no. The miraculous gifts are not valid for the church of 2019. And this crowd is called the cessationist crowd, or cessationism is their position. Meaning, the miraculous gifts, like prophecy, speaking in tongues, healing have ceased, hence cessationism. Those gifts ceased after the apostolic church. In other words, God used these gifts for a time to get the church launched and up and running, and then those gifts died off and went dormant ever since. And now they're no longer valid gifts for the church of today. A couple of years ago, a pastor by the name of John MacArthur held a conference called "Strange Fire" in Southern California, and the whole conference was dedicated to this idea of the miraculous gifts having ceased and been for that specific time and are no longer valid. The other side, you have continuationists or continuationism, which we they, they say yes. These gifts do continue and are valid for the church today. That's hence that name, continuationism. The gifts of the miraculous gifts have continued from the apostolic age all the way till now and will continue until Jesus comes back. This is the yes crowd. And we say, yes, these gifts are valid for the church of today. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to my friend Chad Wensink, and he lives in the Twin Cities. In is part of a different denomination, and, and he's going through an ordination process with his denomination now. And, and it's been kind of fun because he's a, a good friend from middle school. We were best friends in middle school, then we went to different high schools, and we kind of like lived our separate lives, and now we've kind of like gotten in touch again, and we're calling one another, and, and he's going through the ordination process, and he knows that I'm the chair for our presbytery for the ordination team. So it's kind of neat to be able to walk through him as a friend rather than as like a chair with authority over him. Um, so it's, I'm just walking through him with a, uh, as a friend. And we're chatting, and I know that his denomination is, is really good about these miraculous gifts. And he's told me about healings that have happened and reconciliations that have happened and these miracles that they've seen happen in their church. And I said to him, I said, Chad, I said, there has got to be a way where we can be both theological and under the authority of God's word and also charismatic and affirming of all of the gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to give us. There's got to be a way that we hold both of these. Because what happens a lot, and this is part of that cessationist position or that no position is, they'll they'll see the abuse and the discomfort and the misuse of those miraculous gifts, and they say, well, if that's what these miraculous gifts lead to, then I want nothing to do with that. And it's almost a throwing of the baby out with the bathwater kind of a thing. And I'm going, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There has to be a way that we can both be reformed, theological, and under the authority of God's word, and at the same time affirm all of the spiritual gifts that God wants to give us. And he said, you know, Bill, actually in a couple of weeks I'm going to a conference dedicated to this very question. And that conference is in Oklahoma City. And I just found out, it's funny, so I got on the phone with Becca and I was like, hey Becca! And I found out about this awesome conference because spiritual gifts her heart beats for spiritual gifts. She's like, my sister actually just went to that conference. And so we have all these people that are going to those convergent conferences. But my buddy Chad told me, he's like, you can get the audio files of the sessions from previous years. So I'm like, sweet! So I I get the audio files and I start listening. And and Matt Chandler, who's a pastor in Dallas, gives a message at this conference and he says, he says, it is because of his reverence for God's word as our ultimate authority, that he believes that all the spiritual gifts are valid for the church today. And I could not agree more. I do not find, if I read the Bible, I cannot find a compelling case that, the, all, that, the, that these miraculous gifts have ceased. I cannot find a compelling case that the miraculous gifts have ceased. Instead, I find a case in the other direction that says God wants to give these gifts to his people. He wants to give all of the gifts he wants his body and his beloved to experience the flourishing of all of these wonderful gifts that he wants to bestow upon his people. Jesus says in Mark 16, 17, 18, These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. If I look at the narrative of the Holy Spirit's connection to the miraculous in the Bible, I see a God who wants to give the gifts of his Holy Spirit and all of them to his people. Not everyone has all of them, but he wants to express all of them through his church. That's what I see. You're catching me, folks. You're catching me at... It's always really cool when I get to like open up the window into my spiritual journey to you all. And that's what I'm doing to you all today is as I've been studying for this Holy Spirit series and as I've been learning and as I've been opening myself up to the Holy Spirit, I've been getting into this whole gifting thing. Fifteen years ago, if you had asked me, Bill, are prophecy, tongues, and healing and all these other gifts valid for the church today? I'd say, no way. That's too weird. But now, as I've been reading the Word and as I've been studying and as I've been listening, I'm like, they have to be. They have to be valid. They have to be. So if it's any sort of practical application i can give for us this is my application that the lord has been teaching me it's verse one of chapter 14 where paul says let love be your highest goal but you should also desire the special abilities the spirit gives especially the ability to prophesy god's been teaching me to desire these gifts not necessarily for myself personally but for us as a community that we need to be a church at Grace Two Forty Two that desires the full expression of the spiritual gifts that God wants to give His people in love for us to build up His church. That we should be a body that desires all of these expressions, all of the gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to give. That we would not shriek with revulsion at these miraculous gifts, or not go, mm, I'm "Not so sure, I want to receive that," but that we would say, "Yes, thank you, Lord." for equipping us and building us up in order to be involved in the work that you're doing in your church to proclaim your son Jesus so that when we see this full expression of all of the gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to give, we say, Jesus is our king. And today we have the opportunity to celebrate another one of the gifts he gives us. It's not technically a spiritual gift, but it is a gift that the Lord has given us as a church. And that is the gift of remembering and proclaiming the death of Jesus, which leads to his resurrection and gives us life, life that enables us to be sitting here today at this very moment.